0: guys always make me nervous when you quiet down before I tell you you have to I I feel pressure to start talking right away then first Timothy 5 let's do the smart thing and have a word of prayer here heavenly father just very thankful to be here and um Lord, just uh, with July 4th around the corner there, thankful just that we can meet openly and freely and uh, to be able to worship you. Help us to never take that for granted. And as always, Lord, we do pray for our leaders, for godly wisdom, and for our men and women serving, Lord, just keep them safe and bring them home safe. We ask for your spirit just to be upon the lesson. As always, Lord, you teach, we listen, and uh, we're just thankful Lord, for that in your name. Amen. First Timothy chapter 5. Now, First Timothy chapter 5 is a chapter that covers a lot of areas. First few verses talk about how we're supposed to treat the older men in the church, the older women in the church, the younger men, the younger women in the church. Then we get into the idea of widows there in verses 3 through 16, verses 17 on, then you start dealing with church leadership. And there's a lot of different topics here as we go through this because it's all about how the church is supposed to treat one another. We've been talking a lot about the church. First Timothy is all about the church. What are the pillars of the church? What is the church supposed to be doing? We said that the purpose of the church, and we got into this a couple weeks ago, is to instruct. If you look at verse 6 of 1 Timothy 4, if you instruct the brethren. So often the problem is people look at church as this little country club that gets together. We pat ourselves on the back. The purpose of the church is for you guys to come here on a Sunday morning, be instructed in the word, and then as you leave this church to go out to where you live and where you work and be lights and witnesses in all you do and say. We say this all the time out here. The two W's in life are what? Worship and witness. God has called us to worship him, and God has called us to be lights and witnesses for him. That's all that matters. All that matters is seeing people get saved and go deeper in their walks with Christ. So the time we have on a Sunday morning is that time to instruct and to encourage you to then go do that. Well, the thing is, as we are together on a Sunday morning, that means we also have to deal with each other, like it or not. And sometimes that's where it gets hard, doesn't it? So that's why Paul, writing to Timothy here, spends a whole chapter on how to treat each other in church. So I was going through this lesson, and it kind of jumps around a lot in this chapter, and I thought, okay, Lord, what is the point that you're trying to say? But what happened is, instead, is these certain words and phrases started just keep popping up. And what there is, is there's five different areas we're going to talk about today on how we're supposed to treat each other as brothers and sisters in the Lord, and Kind of look at this as going into a doctor's visit, if you will, where the doctor goes through this and that. He checks your blood pressure, then he checks this, or she checks that. You may be good in some areas. You maybe have some areas that you need to work on. Well, as you go through these five areas, there may be some where you're like, okay, I'm doing okay in that area. Well, thank the Lord for that. Pray for continued strength. Pray for those that are weak in that area. There may be some, as you go through this area, you may say, yeah, that one's a weak point for me. I'm really struggling in that. Well, maybe that's the one we need to say, okay, God, help us with that. So there are certain words we're going to look for as we go through this, and there's five areas, and these are all how do we serve and love each other as Christians. So let's jump right into this. First thing you see here, verses 1 and 2. It says, Do not rebuke an older man, but exhort him as a father. Younger men as brothers, older women as mothers, younger women as sisters, with all purity. Look at verse 3. Honor widows who are really widows. Then jump ahead, if you will, to verse uh, 17. Let the elders who rule well be counted worthy of double honor, especially those who labor in the word and doctrine. For the scripture says, You shall not muzzle an ox while it treads out the grain, and the laborer is worthy of his wages. Do not receive an accusation against an elder except from two or three witnesses. Those who are sinning, rebuke in the presence of all that the rest also may fear. I charge you, therefore, before God and the Lord Jesus Christ and the elect, that you observe these things without prejudice, doing nothing with partiality. What do you see popping up here? This idea of honor and respect. There's supposed to be enough honor and respect that uh, you do not rebuke the older generation. Now, that doesn't mean you ignore sin. That's not what that verse is saying in any way whatsoever. But there's a respect there for the older generation to say, hey, if there's an issue, we will treat them with respect and honor. Too often you see sometimes in churches the idea, of, well, the older ones have been around a while, they're lagging us down to get them out of the way type thing. No, there's supposed to be respect for the wisdom that they have. We've said this numerous times out here, the best... The plan is to take an older, mature saint and put them with a younger believer. You have the wisdom of the older, mature saint, but you have that excitement of the younger believer. You put them together, and that's a great combination. It really is. We're also supposed to, verse 3, honor the widows. And we'll get to that here in a little bit. And then you see in verse 17 that those that uh, teach and rule and those that serve, they're supposed to be a double honor given to them. This idea of honor, this idea of respect, it's a big word. We honor and respect everybody. Now here's the problem. In the society we live in, we have this mindset of, well, I don't respect you. You have to earn my respect. You have to earn my honor. And so therefore, we have this mindset that, uh, well, I just don't give out respect. It's something that earned. And that person's not worthy of my respect. My boss is not worthy of my respect. Have you seen what he's like? Well, my wife's not worthy of honor. My husband's not worthy of respect. My co-worker's not worthy of honor and respect. They're bums. No one's worthy of honor or respect. I'm not just going to give it out. One thing that God says, though, is, hey, you don't wait till they earned it. God says you just do it. That word honor literally means to give value to. That's what that word means. So when you honor and respect somebody, you're giving value to them because God created them. God died on the cross for them, and so therefore you honor and respect them. And that's a really tough concept for some of us. Because we have this mindset, once again, of you don't get respect, you just you have to earn it. No. The Bible says you're supposed to respect them. In fact, if you're taking notes, 1 Peter 2.17 1 Peter 2.17 says, honor all. Now, who falls under the category of all? Everybody. The boss that is really not a good boss, that really is not worthy of honor and respect, God says you still honor and respect them. That husband that's really kind of a bum, the wife, well, you still need to respect that. The wife that really isn't that great of a wife, there's still supposed to be that honor and respect. The co-workers, the friends and family that just are there to take advantage of, well, they're still supposed to be an honor and respect. God puts value on them. If God puts value on them, we're supposed to put value on them. We have to let go of this mindset of earned honor, earned respect. No, God says you give value to them because I give value to them. It doesn't make what they do or say right. There still is that honor. Now ask yourself this. Do you really honor and respect all? Or are there some people that you have kind of put on a lower standard and lower plane because, well, they haven't met your expectations. They haven't earned it. The problem is if you go with that mindset, there's going to be somebody who thinks the same thing about you, (laughs) that you haven't earned it or honored it. And I know some people say, well, that's okay with me. That's not okay with God. God says we honor all. We don't wait till they earned it. We honor all. We respect the husband, not because he has earned it, but God said to. We honor the wife, not because she has earned it, because God said to. We respect and honor the boss, the co workers, the friends and family, because God says I place a value on them. If Jesus Christ died on the cross for them, that means there is some value in them. The Bible does not say that Jesus died only for those that. Wanted him to die. He died for everybody. He died for those that didn't want him to die. Jesus said, I still died for you. So there's an honor and respect and a value given to that. And we fail in this area a lot as Christians. And and this is one of the biggest problems we see in the church, is this lack of respect towards people and individuals, towards believers sometimes, towards the world. Hey, we'll be the first to say, there's some bums out there. Some of you may work with some. Some of you may work for one. Some of you may be married to some. I don't know. But the truth of the matter is we're supposed to honor and respect all. That's what we're supposed to do. This is how the church system is set up. Because if we had to earn respect and honor, well, then we'd walk around as a church saying, well, I don't know if you've done enough to earn it. Well, I don't know if you've done enough to earn it. God says you just honor and respect all. That's why this system is set up. So when it comes to brothers and sisters in the Lord, look at verses 1 and 2 again. There's supposed to be a respect for the older generation, a respect for the younger, respect for the older women, a respect for the younger sisters in Christ, and a respect for the widows, verse 3. Now, I think this is important. We're going to build on this as we go through this chapter. But if you look, God generally is not very specific in the Bible. He says you're supposed to love everybody. You're supposed to honor everybody. But he always picks out widows and orphans. In fact, in James 1, he says that we're supposed to specifically take care of the widows and the orphans. I think that's an important picture. Because God looks at our relationship with Christ as we are betrothed to the Lord. We are the bride of Christ. We've been adopted into God's family. And so, therefore, when you see somebody in the world that is widowed with no spouse... God says that's a heartbreaking thing because it's a picture of, of, the, of the breakdown there of the system because that person's there alone. Or when you see somebody orphaned, it's almost that picture of that idea that there's not someone to take care of them. That's what we're supposed to spe- specifically watch out for them. So what was happening here in verses 3 through uh, 16 in this chapter is the widows were going up to the church and they were put on this list. And there's some rules and regulations in there which really aren't a legalism. They had to be 60 or older to be put on this list. The idea was that they were a widow that had no family that could take care of them. And if no family could take care of them, they were put on this list, and the church would then help take care of them, the church would help provide them. Now, there's a few little rules and regulations with that, and we'll get to that here in a little bit. They didn't want a widow who wasn't really a widow, someone who was just looking for a free ride. Paul writes to Timothy, hey, be careful about that. No, let them be proven that they're really in need. Let them be proven that they're really widows and then take care of them, honor them, put value to them. This is something that's very important to us. Part of the reason why we hired uh, Rich out here full time about a year, year and a half ago is because we had these widows and we wanted to make sure they were taken care of. And Rich does a good job. That's part of his ministry. And so does randomly call them and say, hey, anything you need. Pop over, take a look at them, maybe go over and mow a yard or do something like that to really help take care of the widows. And it's a ministry that we really try to take uh, advantage of. And if you know somebody that is in that spot of a widow that needs help, boy, let Rich know. He'd love to go over and lend a helping hand in any way that we can because we really want to do what it says there in verse 3 is honor those. Same thing in verse 17. that the elders who rule well be counted worthy of double honor, especially those who labor in the word and doctrine. Right now, as we're sitting in here and as we're listening to the teaching, there's people back there volunteering their time. God says, that's an honor. Honor them. Respect them for that willingness to do that. Respect those that are willing to help take care of the kids. Honor and respect those that are willing to help take care of the church. Honor and respect those that are willing to put that effort into it. Can you imagine how much better the church would run if everybody just respected and honored everybody else, put value on them? Can you imagine how much better your marriage would be if the husband would say, you know what, I respect my wife. may not agree with her. May not like what she's doing all the time, but I honor and respect her as a creation of God. Or if the wife would say, You know what, I honor and respect my husband, not because he's earned it, because that's what God wants me to do. Or if you'd go into work tomorrow instead of thinking, Oh, man, I got to work with him, I got to work with her, that you'd go in and say, Okay, Lord, these are created beings. I may not like them, but I will honor and respect the fact that you have given value to them and you died on the cross for them. Died on the cross for them, and I care about them because you care about them. Honor all, respect all. That's the way it's supposed to work. That was the first one. What about the next one here? Let's build on this a little bit. Did you catch this at the end of verse 2? It says right there, Older women as mothers, younger women as sisters, with all purity. Purity. This is a verse I use a lot. If a guy comes to me and says he's struggling with things of the flesh, struggling with lusts or whatever, I'll take him to this verse and say, Hey, the Bible says you're supposed to look at every older woman as you would your mother and look at every younger woman as you would your sister. Purity. Purity are supposed to look at them as, as, as sisters in Christ. And if they're not saved, look at them as future sisters in Christ. And there's supposed to be that idea of a purity there in our flesh and making sure that we don't get ourselves caught up in that, in the flesh. That's a struggle. And that's why God says there's supposed to be a pure love. Now let's just be honest. How many of us have a pure love? We have a good what I call outside skin love. You go up to someone you don't like, you'll shake their hand, you'll look them in the eye, you'll say, how are you doing? You'll be polite and nice to them. But deep down in your heart, is there really a pure love? A lot of times we have this fake front, but we have this bitterness in us. We have this anger in us. I've had Christians come up to me and say things to the fact of, you know, I don't know, I better never see him or her again. I don't think that's the pure love that that God is asking of us. Now, there may be wisdom in that state of emotion to not go around them, but the pure love that God is looking at is to say no. I mean, can you imagine Jesus on the cross? He said, Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. He didn't say, I'm only dying for this one and this one and this one. He died for everybody. That was pure love. In fact, the Bible says the only way we even know what love is is because of Christ. That's the only way we know. And He wants us to have that pure love. Says you don't need to turn there in First Timothy one five. Now the purpose of the commandment is love from a pure heart, a pure heart. And one other quick verse on this: First Peter one twenty two. First 1 Peter 1, 22 says you're supposed to have a sincere love of the brethren, love one fervently with a pure heart. Turn if you will to First Corinthians thirteen. Let's talk about this for a second. That's the great love chapter. We're supposed to have a pure love towards people. As you're going there, start thinking: Is there somebody that you don't have a pure love for? You have an angerness, anger in your heart? You have a bitterness in your heart? Now, now, we may not know that because we look on the outside and everything looks fine, but dig down deep. Is there something going on? Is there a bitterness? Is there an anger? God wants to have that heart of forgiveness. Now, some of you, as you're turning to 1 Corinthians 13, you may say, and I hear this a lot, you don't know. i fill in the blank after that. You don't know what they did to me. You don't know what they said to me. You don't know how they treated me. I don't know what they did to you. I don't know what they said to you. I don't know how they treated you, but I know what I've said to Christ. I know what I've done to Christ. I know how I've treated Christ, and he still died on the cross for my sins. Jesus set the absolute example of love to say it doesn't matter what they've done, but I can still love and forgive. Now, that is not a human nature. That is why you have to be born again in Christ because human nature is... Not that I can forgive sometimes. Human nature is, I hold grudges, I hold bitterness. God says we have to move past that human nature, be born again in Christ, and as you're born again in Christ, therefore then you can say, I can love and forgive with a pure heart. That's hard to do. Look at 1 Corinthians 13. A lot of you probably already know this passage. It says in verse 1, Though I speak with the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, i become sounding brass or a clanging cymbal. So yeah, you look good, you sound good spiritually, but if you don't have love, you're really nothing. Verse two. Though I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and though I have all faith, so that I could remove mountains, but have not love, I'm nothing. So fine, you got wisdom. You got intellect. You can quote verses left and right. If you don't have love, what's the point? Verse three, and though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor, and though I give my body to be burned, but have not love, it profits me nothing. So you're a server. You serve here, you serve there, but if you're not doing it out of love, what's the point? Verse four Love suffers long and is kind. Love does not envy, love does not parade itself, it's not puffed up. Does not behave rudely, does not seek its own, does not provoke, thinks no evil. Does not rejoice in iniquity, but rejoices in the truth. Bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never fails. Wow, that's powerful. Is that the type of love you have for those co-workers, those bosses that are difficult? Is that the type of love that you have for your spouse? Now, the Bible makes it clear they're supposed to love from a pure heart. The Bible also says they're supposed to love all, all. Love is not earned. See, we go back to that earned thing again. I will respect you when you have earned it. I will honor you when you have earned it. I will love you when you have earned it. No, that's not how it works. Respect, honor, and love is given even when they have not earned it because that's a God-given thing. And look right here when it talks about love. One translation says, love keeps no record of wrongs. Now think about that. In your heart of love, are you keeping record of wrongs towards people? I know it's hard to forgive and forget. That's tough to truly forget But when it says no record of wrongs, that means you're letting that hang over you. I've seen Christians hold such an anger, such a bitterness in them towards people. And they hang on to that record of wrong. And the truth of the matter is you become enslaved by that anger. You become enslaved by that bitterness. That person isn't thinking about you, but boy, you're thinking about them. I've seen people that have such a love. I I look back to verse 3. I bestow all my goods to feed the poor. I know people that if you'd go up to them and say, hey, could you help out with this? Oh, pastor, I would do anything. I will do anything. But I won't help him. I won't help her. No, it's, it's not good for us to be together. There's things sometimes that are difficult to work through. Sometimes things don't click. I think back to the book of Acts where you had some, uh, sometimes some examples of some of the early disciples didn't necessarily see eye to eye Paul and John Mark, but at the same time, too, Paul and John Mark eventually figured things out. You may not click with everybody, but there is supposed to be a love where there is not an anger, a bitterness, or resentment. You're not keeping record of wrongs. You're not, as it says right there, pssst, I was going to say, once again, let me find it here real quick. Verse 5, does not behave rudely, does not seek its own, is not provoked, thinks no evil. Think about that with your relationship with your coworkers. Do you, are you doing verse 5? Are you behaving rudely? Do you go down to their level? Are you seeking your own? Is it all about you? Are you easily provoked? Are you thinking evil? What about in your marriage? What about that? When, when the husband and wife are alone, what type of communication do you have? What type of arguments do you have? Is that type of love there? What about with your friends and your family members? Is that type of love there. Because God says we're supposed to love all and we're supposed to love with a pure heart. Can you imagine how much better the church would run if we had this type of mindset towards all believers? I'm just going to love you. I may not agree with you. I may not like what you do, but I'm going to love you with a pure heart because God said to do that. Once again, when you love with a pure heart, it doesn't mean that you ignore sin, but it means you love them just as God still loves them. Let's look at the next one here because this is where it gets kind of interesting. Because what happens is we're supposed to honor all, respect all, and we're supposed to love all. But the truth of the matter is there's people out there that will take advantage of that. There's people out there that we have to be discerning about. Paul writes this to Timothy too because what was happening 2,000 years ago in the church, there were gals that were widows that came to the church and said, hey, take care of us, meet our needs. And what happened was, well, they were young enough that they could go out and work. They were physically able to go out and work. They were young enough that they could remarry. And the truth of the matter is they didn't want to. And so they just wanted their needs met. So look at verse 11 of 1 Timothy 5. It says, Refuse the younger widows, for when they have begun to grow wanton against Christ, they desire to marry, having condemnation because they have cast off their first faith, and besides, they learn to be idle, wandering about from house to house, not only idle, but also gossips and busybodies, saying things which they ought not. Basically, hey, church, take care of us. since the church takes care of us, since our needs are met, we can just go do whatever we want. We have no responsibilities. Paul says be careful about that. Look at verse 8. If anyone does not provide for his own, and especially for those of his household, he has denied the faith. He's worse than a non-believer. Jump ahead to verse 16. If any believing man or woman has widows, let them relieve them, and do not let the church be burdened, that it may relieve those who are really widows. There were people trying to take advantage back then. Now, does that still happen today? Oh, Yeah. I've shared this story before, but I'll repeat it again real quick. I remember it was just a couple weeks after I took over out here being a pastor. I had a guy show up with a kid, and uh, looking pretty tough, looking pretty ragged, came up and, and, and told me what was going on in their lives. And I remember I went up to Dawn, it was during worship, and I said, hey, I got this guy out here, really tough situation in life. I said, hey, whatever money you got, why don't you let me have it so we can help him out. Helped him out, etc. cetera. So the next week, guess what happened? A gal showed up, very similar story, and you know what? The kid looked really familiar and so then it was the girl with the kid. And by this time, I'm thinking, now wait a second here. I'm not smart, but I'm not dumb. And I looked at this, and then it really hit me. People use the church? Yeah, people try to use. And that was happening 2,000 years ago. Paul wrote to Timothy. goes, be careful about this. He goes, have discernment on this issue because there's going to be People that try to use. And as they try to use, he comes out and says in verse 8, are they taking care of their household? Are they doing what they can? If not, well, they're worse than a non-believer. Verse 8, verse 16, don't let them become a burden to the church because what happens is if all your time and energy is helping people that really don't need help, well, then verse 16, those that really need help get pushed off to the side, and that's not what God wants. The way that the Lord has set up this system, if you go back to verse 4, if any widow has children or grandchildren, let them first learn to show piety at home and to repay their parents. See, God says the way the first system is supposed to be, if there's a widow that needs help, her family is supposed to take care of them. That's what it's supposed to be. And God looks at it as repaying their parents. Now, some of you may have come out of dysfunctional of all dysfunctional. Some of you may say, repay my parents. Do you know what they did? Do you know how they raised me? Do you know the type of relationship I have with them? I don't know. But God still says, honor all, respect all, love all. Yeah, but all doesn't include them. <laughs> All includes all. Look at the end of verse 4. For this is good and acceptable before God. That's a tough verse for some of you. I can't imagine how tough some of that is. But the problem is we change all. I will honor them. I will respect them. I will love them. Him? He's not worthy of it. Her? Nope, not her. That's why God said all. Because all includes all. (laughs) There's no other way around that. But if the family can't take care of the the widow well that's where the church needs to step in and help verse 5 now she who's really a widow and left alone trusting God continues in supplications and prayers night and day God says there's a responsibility for the church to step in and try to help out where they possibly can but we need that discernment Bible says in Philippians 1 you don't need to turn there and it says, I pray that your love may abound still more and more in knowledge and all discernment, that you may approve the things that are excellent. The problem is sometimes as Christians we get used and abused. Now sometimes as Christians I know I'm getting used and abused. I know it. And I'm okay with that. It's, it's, it's the closest we get to being on the cross. I know this person's taking advantage of a situation. And I'm willing to in love to say, hey, you think you're getting one over me but I'm not that dumb. There's other times where we have to put our foot down and say, I'm sorry, no, we can't because discernment says we can't do that. Here's the thing. Discernment is tough. Those situations are tough to separate the needs from the wants, the sob stories from the truth. It's hard to do sometimes. It really is. And what Paul is writing Timothy here is, hey, take a look at the situation. Find out if this widow really needs help or is this widow, well, just trying to get what they can get. And there has to be that discernment there in the body of Christ. Turn, if you will, to 2 Thessalonians 3. Let's build on this a little bit. 2 Thessalonians 3. These gals, once again, were taking what they needed from the church and then just doing what they wanted. Did you catch that in that one verse I called them a busybody? Every time I think of busybody, you know I, I like Little House on the Prairie, I always think of Mrs. Olson. Busybody. And you know the thing is, we have busybodies in every church, don't we? Busybodies, what does that mean? They just butt in. It has nothing to do with them. But they have an opinion. But did you hear about so-and-so? No. Well, so-and-so did this. I just don't think they should do that. No one asked you. But you're still telling everybody what you think. Or situations that have nothing to do with the Next thing you know, they're involved in it. And why were these people involved with it 2,000 years ago? Because while well, all their needs are being met, they had nothing to do. I know it's not in the Bible, but there is truth to idle hands are the devil's playground. If you just have time, you're going to get yourself in trouble. That's one of the first things I always tell everybody that is going through a difficult time and they just have time on their hands so they can sit there and think and, and, and go through those difficult times and that depression and discouragement gets the best of them because they're idle. I said, You've got to find a place to get involved and to serve. Why would I want to do that? Because if you just sit and do nothing, it's going to get worse. I don't feel like it. Why well, I know you don't feel like it, but sometimes you got to do what you got to do. That idleness causes problems. If you just get up in the morning and have no plan or purpose, you sit all day thinking about having no plan or purpose, and that idleness is there, you're going to get yourself in trouble. You serve. The Bible says that they were gossips. It's amazing how, as a church, we won't put up with certain sins, just nipped in the butt. But the sin of gossip... It's almost accepted. It's almost accepted that we share opinions. It's almost accepted that we talk about things. And, and God says, no, that's a sin. That's a busybody. The Bible says in the book of Proverbs that gossip is like tasty chocolate treats that just go down so good. You hear that person talking, your next thing you're going, oh, yeah, and you lean in a little closer. And it's just like them offering the candy or you just can't take one. You hear it and you say, uh-huh, uh-huh. You just keep listening and listening and listening. God says it's gossip. That's sin. That's being a busybody, and we just get involved with things we shouldn't get involved with. Look here at 2 Thessalonians 3, verse 7. For you yourselves know how you ought to follow us, for we were not disorderly among you, nor did we eat anyone's bread free of charge, but worked with labor and toil night and day, that we may not be a burden to any of you, not because we do not have authority, but to make ourselves an example of how you should follow us. For even while we were with you, we commanded you this, if anyone will not work, neither shall he eat. Verse 11, For we hear that there are some who walk among you in a disorderly manner, not working at all, but are busybodies. Verse 12, Now those who are such we command and exhort through our Lord Jesus Christ that they work in quietness and eat their own bread. Paul is there writing here to the church of Thessalonica, Hey, tell those people that are doing nothing to do something. Because what happens is, since they're doing nothing, they're just taking and taking and taking. They're not serving. They're not helping. They're just being idle. They're being busybodies. They're just getting involved. He says they're supposed to do something. He goes to them in verse 12, he says, exhort them. Hey, you've got to make some changes here. Now, the truth of the matter is, generally speaking, no one wants to hear that. Generally speaking, those conversations really don't go all that well. So what are you supposed to do? Well, it does exactly what it says in verse 12. Sometimes you've got to be honest, and that's tough. You know how frustrating that can be? That's why it says in verse 13, but as for you, brethren, do not grow weary in doing good. See, Paul's almost like, but as for you, don't grow weary. Because this is what happens. Let's say you are active. Let's say you're not the busybody. Let's say you're not the idle person. You're involved. Well, what happens is when you see somebody who is idle, you see somebody who is a busybody, well, next thing you know, you start gossiping about the gossips. I just get so sick and tired. She always goes around and just telling everybody everything. She doesn't do anything. She just sits there and does nothing. Well, now we're a busybody about the busybody. That's why God says there in verse 13, but as for you, do not grow weary in doing good. Boy, you can't let it get to you. It can't. You bet you there's going to be frustrating people out there. You bet you there's going to be frustrating believers. I bet some of you work with somebody who does not carry their fair share of the load. I bet you have a boss that doesn't carry their fair share of the load. You may be married to somebody who doesn't carry their fair share of the load. God says, but as for you, do not grow weary in doing good. You still do what you're supposed to do. You be the husband or wife you're called to be. You be the worker you're called to be. And allow the Lord to work on their heart and allow God to work on them because we don't want to go down to that level. We need to stay out of it. Jump ahead real quick in First Timothy 5. Look at verse uh, 22. Do not lay hands on anyone hastily, nor share in other people's sins. Keep yourself pure. Basically, Paul is telling Timothy, sometimes you just got to stay out of it. This is not stay out of it like ostrich with your head in the sand. If I hear no evil, see no evil. I don't want to know that you're in sin because then I have to do something. That's not what we're talking about. Sometimes you just got to stay out of people's lives and say, you know what, those are choices they're making. It's not a good godly choice. I've told them, I've warned them, I've loved them, I've encouraged them. It's up to them now. we got to sometimes have to have that way to back out a little bit. We don't want to go to that busybody. So the next one here, we've talked about honor and respecting all, loving all, being discerning. Two more and we're done. Look at verse 1. Do not rebuke an older man, but exhort him. Exhort him as a father, younger men as brothers. Exhort means to encourage. Hebrews 3.13 says we're supposed to encourage all. When's the last time you encouraged somebody in the Lord? When's the last time you went up to somebody and said, Hey, I know you're going through a tough time. I just want to let you know I'm praying for you. When's the last time you felt led to drop someone that card or that email to say, Hey, you're heavy on my heart. When's the last time you just went up to somebody and said, How can I pray for you? We're supposed to encourage everybody. Why don't we do that more? Generally speaking, the reason we don't do it is because, Well, we don't know them well enough to encourage them which may mean it's God's way of saying we need to go out of our uh, comfort zone a little bit. We've been talking a lot on Wednesday nights about the Bible calls it a sphere of influence. We have a boundary that we have people that we're responsible to minister to. God says, are you ministering to those people that you're around, your friends, your family, your co-workers? Maybe something as simple as your kids and your wife, I don't know. But are we ministering to them, encouraging them? Remember the story from Luke 19, Zacchaeus up in the tree. Zacchaeus was the guy that needed encouragement. Jesus, amongst all the people, found Zacchaeus up in the tree and said, come down, I'm going to eat with you today. That's what Zacchaeus needed. He needed that one-on-one time. You may know somebody that's going through a difficult time, and you need to invest in them spiritually. Why don't we do that? Quite honestly, sometimes we're selfish. I don't have time. There's time to drop someone a call. There's try- time to drop someone a card. There's time to say, hey, let me take you out for a bite and to spend some time with you. There's time. It's encouraging. It's tough to encourage. I heard a great teaching, and I wish I could give credit where credit's due but I don't know who said it, so I'm just going to say I did. So there was this teaching I heard on the radio, and it was talking about how in marriage, about how wives need to be the cheerleaders for the husband. Because what do cheerleaders do? Cheerleaders cheer for their team no matter the score. No matter the score. The team could get whipped down 60 nothing, and the cheerleaders are still like, Go team, go! You know, I mean, they're just, just excited. Wives, your husband may not be being the best husband in the world. He may be a little bit of a failure. He may be a big failure. I don't know. God says, can you still encourage him? Encourage him? He's a bum. Honor all. Love all. Encourage all. Yeah, but not him. Yeah, him. Encourage all. You cheer even when you're losing. Well, you know, the flip side of that is this pastor also said, guys, we're supposed to be a fan. Now think about that, guys. You have a team that you like. You're a fan of that team. That team may not win a game all season. You're still a fan of that team. You'll still wear the clothes. You'll still have the flag on in front of your house. You'll still support them. You are a fan of that team no matter how good they do. They said to husbands, we're supposed to be a fan of our wives. No matter how she does, she may be a loser of a wife. You're still a fan of her. Because see, what the wives need to know is that that husband is committed to me no matter what. Just like that fan is committed to that team, that wife needs to know my husband is committed to me no matter what, just like God said. And just like the Team needs those cheerleaders cheering no matter what. That husband needs that encouragement no matter what. What I start to see happen in a marriage is when I start seeing the wife quit encouraging the husband, warning sign. When I start seeing the husband not being a fan of his wife, warning sign. I'll to switch teams. No, we're not talking that way. I'll become a cheerleader for different. Not talking that way. We are a fan of the team, even if they go 0-16. We're a cheering for the team, even if they're getting whipped 60 to nothing. And that encouragement, it's amazing how I see families that we are encouraging to certain people. Oh, I like him. I will encourage him. How about him? I don't really like him. (laughs) Can't God raise somebody else up to encourage him? Can't God raise somebody up to encourage her? Well, why do I have to encourage my coworkers? Can't somebody else encourage my co-workers? God says encourage all. And one of the things that you see in the early church is this idea of encouragement, exhorting, building each other up. Broaden your comfort zone. Meet people, know people, get involved in people's life. One of the things that we've been talking about on Wednesdays is investing in people. If you don't invest in somebody, what is the purpose of being here? One of the quotes we put up on Wednesday was, everybody is being discipled and everybody should be discipling somebody else. Jesus said, go you therefore and make disciples of all nations. So therefore, you should be being discipled. Disciple means that you are just learning about Christ. Disciple means to learn, to be a learner. Well, right now, you are being discipled. We're teaching you about how the church is supposed to work. So you're supposed to take this information and then go do it to somebody else. That's the way it's supposed to work. We're supposed to instruct you and as you get instructed, then you go do something else. Rich is starting up discipleship classes here beginning of August. That's a little more detailed focused on the fundamentals of faith. Then I believe in the fall, we'll probably start up discipleship too with John. And that's a little more detailed even than what discipleship one was. there are our discipleship classes, but what we are doing right now Is we are discipling. We're teaching how to be a better, stronger church, and all that we do and say. You're supposed to take this information and then therefore go apply it to other people. So we're supposed to honor all, respect all, love all, be discerning, encourage all. And the last one, we're supposed to serve. Look at the widows here in the church, verse 10. Well reported for good works, if she has brought up children, if she has lodged strangers, if she has washed the saints' feet, if she has relieved the afflicted, if she has diligently followed every good work. She had a work effort. What, what Paul was saying to Timothy is those widows you want to be taken care of, you want those that are serving. Not the idle, not the busybodies. We don't need lazy people. Those people that are coming and saying, hey, can, you, can the church help? Yeah, as we help you, help us. Be involved, get involved with things. Well, Look at verse 17. Let the elders who rule be counted worthy of double honor, especially those who labor in the word and doctrine. That word labor literally means work to a sweat. See, we look at labor in the church, it's like, oh, no, this is supposed to be easy. Christianity is not easy. I have no idea where that concept came up of. How many times have you heard it say out here, ministry is not for the thin-skinned? That's why people say, well, that's why I don't get involved in ministry. But you're called to serve. Your ministry may be your husband. Your ministry may be your wife. Your ministry may be your kids. I don't know where your ministry is. It may be your co-workers. But you're called to serve. To serve, and that means you're going to break a sweat. It's going to be work. It's easy to love the lovables. It's hard to love the unlovables. It's easy to honor, respect, and encourage those good ones. It's hard to honor and respect and encourage those ones that are a struggle. It's tough. I'll be the first to say that. But yet, we're supposed to have that mindset of service here of what it is. I mean, how many times do you come into a church and you're like, oh man, hope Tony doesn't come up and ask me to help out in the back? You know, I hope the pastor doesn't come over and say, hey, we really need a hand with this. Why? Sometimes it's tough. It is I know that. I'm the first one to say that. It's sometimes tough to get involved with things. Sometimes it's tough to labor. It's easy. It's nice to come and be fed, isn't it? Isn't that why we pay money to go out to eat? How many of you are going to go out to eat today, pay your bill and say, "Hey, I really feel bad. Can I go help with the dishes?" No. <laughs> none of you, well, I don't have to help with the dishes. I'm paying to not help with the dishes. Well, what happens is spiritually, sometimes it's like, I just want to come and be fed. I understand that. I like to come and be fed, too. But part of what we're also instructing you with is as you are being fed is to take what you learned then and go apply it to other things and go be serving other people. And I always have to throw this clause out there. This is not a message to get you to sign up for this, this, or that. It's a message just to remind you that serving is part of your Christian walk and what you do and say. The way these widows had elevated themselves to the position of honor also is because look at what they did there once again in verse 10. They were well reported for good works. Praise godly children, lodge strangers and wash the saints' feet, relieve the afflicted, have diligently followed every good work. Wash the saints' feet. Do you realize that is the lowest of the low position? The slave of the slaves was the one that washed feet. That was the most menial task back during Bible times. When a visitor came to your house, you got your slave that was on the bottom of the totem pole to come and wash that person's feet. God says that's the example that these widows have set. And not only that, if you got further time today, go check out John 13. That's the example that Christ set. God, now think about this, God himself in the form of man washed the apostles' feet. God did that. He set the example. What does that mean? No ministry is below us. Now, there may be ministries you're called to do, not called to do. Sometimes we do that whole calling thing as an excuse. I've met some Christians that obviously are not called to do anything because anytime something pops up, not called, not called. Oh, maybe you should pray about it. Nope, don't have to pray about it. I know I'm not called. And you know, and I don't know, maybe that's between them and the Lord. But Galatians 5:13, serve all, honor all, love all, encourage all, serve all. Everybody, serve all. There are some people that you don't want to serve. God says serve them. There's some people that didn't want Jesus to die on the cross. He still died for them. Why would I want to serve well, number one, Jesus set the example. He washed feet. But you know what? Let's just be selfish for a second. Look at verse 17. Let the elders who rule well be counted worthy of double honor, especially those who labor in the word and doctrine. You get blessed. Double honor. That's pretty cool. You, there's a blessing in serving. When you go pick your kids up today, tell them thanks. They do a good job. Drop them a thank you card. You see something out here that has been blessed at church, let them know that. Double honor. You know what? Maybe some of those people you work with, maybe they're not even believers. Tell them thanks. Appreciate it. It's amazing how, as what do we do as parents? We stress to our kids, please and thank you, please and thank you, please and thank you, right? But as we become adults, who's stressing to us, please and thank you? Well, I'll do it. Please and thank you. <laughs> There's a lot of things that happen behind the scenes that we may not even know about. Jump ahead real quick, and we're getting closer to then. Look at verses 24 and 25. Some men's sins are clearly evident preaching them, preceding them to judgment, but of those some follow later. Likewise, the good works of some are clearly evident, and those that are otherwise cannot be hidden. Don't you get frustrated in verse 24 sometimes, where people are are not living the life they should be, it's like, doesn't anybody notice this sin? Come on, God, do some whole fire-toasting thing right now. God says, in my infinite grace and mercy, judgment will come, and it will come in my time. Just like in your life, someone probably wanted to toast you at one time, and God said grace and mercy. We get frustrated when we see clearly evident sins not being judged. God's not lacking in that area. Don't worry. But also look at verse 25. Some good works are clearly evident. There are some people it's obvious what they do. Wow, thank you for what you do. There are some people that are not obvious. You have no idea what they do. Be it in church, be it at home, whatever. Husbands, you may come home and you may look around and say, what did you do today, wife? They may not be clearly evident, but she kept the house going. Wives may look at the husband and says he does nothing. It may not be clearly evident. You may have those coworkers, you may have those people at church. Well, they're not doing anything. It may not be clearly evident, but God knows knows their heart. We don't know. We just don't know because it's well. It says right there, it's not evident. God says though, are we serving all? Are we setting that godly example? Specifically back here to the widows, because this is what happens sometimes. People come up and say, I hear what you're saying about service. I want to get involved, but I can't physically not able to you know i just i just can't i just can't do it and that pops up you you may be in a state of life or in a condition of life right now where physically you can't you can't chase kids around the church you can't clean you can't help with the car care you can't serve here physically you just can't what can you do i just want to share with you an example of a really godly widow in the book of luke it says in luke 2 verse 36 now there was one anna prophetess the daughter of of the tribe of asher she was of great age and had lived with the husband seven years from her virginity, and this woman was a widow of about 84 years, did not depart from the temple, but listen to this, but served God with fastings and prayers night and day. Her service was night and day. She fasted and prayed for the church and the body. Isn't that pretty cool? You may not physically be able to do a whole lot, but you know what you can do? You can grab that prayer request sheet that we have on the back, that little one, and you can pray over that every day. You can grab that VBS prayer calendar, and you can pray over that every day. You can come up to Rich, Renee, or me and say, hey, is there anything that you need prayer for? Well, you can pray. The thing is, the last thing you want to do as a believer is to be idle. No, we're here to serve. The last thing you want to do is be the gossip, the busybody, filling your time with things that you don't need to fill with. No, there's always an opportunity to serve. Some of it's physical in the church, some of it's spiritual in the church, but there's always something that you can be doing for the body of Christ to edify and to encourage. And if you're in a spot right now where there's not a lot that, I shouldn't say not a lot, if you're in a spot right now where you have a lot of time, great opportunity to get involved. truth of the matter is sometimes when we have idleness, we don't want to get involved because we've reached this point of discouragement. Don't let discouragement get the best of you. Honor all, serve all, love all, respect all, encourage all. Boy, if the church would work that way, if our businesses would work that way, if our families and marriages would work that way, how much better would everything be? As far as I know, there's no exemptions to the word all. When it's honor, love, serve, encourage, all... That means everybody. God help us to have that same type of heart in all we do and say. Marvin, come forward here for the final song.